Well, we are we're going to move right into our passage. We're continuing in this series called Keywords and uh, part six today. Last week we talked about life. Today we're talking about mercy and grace. And uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter five. Kurt, you already had us in a little bit of Romans five this morning in the worship time. But let's go to Romans chapter five, starting at verse 12. If you've got a Bible with you, you can find that if you're using the red Bibles, it's page 703. And as you find that, I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter five, starting at verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the uh, to the believers in the city of Rome. And, um, you know, if there was ever a book that captures Christian theology and doctrine, it's the book of Romans. And you know what I love? I love that kids are excited at church. Isn't that cool? I mean, they're happy to be here. That's a really good thing. It's wonderful. Romans chapter 5, starting at 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. Verse 15, but there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Verse 17, key verse here. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Verse 20. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's go ahead and take a seat. If you find that passage a bit like you just feel like what I read just kind of went over your head. Um, I, I read in one commentary this week, he said, the most difficult passage in the book of Romans is Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. I'm like, yeah, it's tough. But it's crucial. It's essential. It's about grace. You know, grace is quite a thing. We sing about it. New songs and old songs like the one we sang. This is the amazing grace or your grace is enough or grace greater than all our sin and so on. Amazing grace. My chains are gone. There's the Newsboys classic. Let's see. You guys are too young to know the Newsboys. Huh? Well, anyway, those of you who are my age, right? Uh, the Newsboys classic from the mid 90s. Real good thing. 
Um, okay, seriously, somebody has to know that song. Thank you, Mike. All right. But sometimes we still struggle to trust grace. We teach grace. We, um, we have our Awana kids um, memorize Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. I'm going to put it on the screen here out of the New International Version, because that's what we typically memorize from. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Right? We know our salvation is only by God's grace. The Protestant Reformation 500 years ago turned the world upside down because of the rediscovery of grace. And while humankind has always looked for ways to grasp the divine, to reach to God, right? Only in Christ do we see that God, in Christ, by His grace, reaches down to grasp us. Gets a hold of us. That's why Christians are different from every religion, including religious Christians. Right? We know God reaches to us because we will never be good enough on our own to reach to God. So let's take a moment to talk about or define these words, grace and mercy. They're not hard to define. That old Newsboys song is going to help you. When you uh, don't get what you deserve, that's a real good thing. That's how the song goes, right? Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Okay, the police officer pulls you over for speeding, but only gives you a warning. That's mercy, right? Grace, on the other hand, is when you do get what you don't deserve. The police officer not only gives you a warning. See, now he's so happy in the car. See that, right? Go back to the previous one. Not so sure. Next one. Very happy, right? That's because he's experiencing grace. The police officer not only leaves you just a warning, but he gives you a card that says you're exempt from all future prosecution because a generous person has agreed to pay any traffic fines you may incur, past, present, or future. So it's not an elimination of the speeding laws. It's that someone else is willing to take on your punishment. That's grace. Yet grace is still notoriously hard to accept. Some say, well, too much grace means people are going to just sin recklessly. And I say people are already sinning recklessly. They don't need anything to help them do that. In fact, legalist Christians, right, those trying so hard to be good all the time, are typically the most unhappy minimalist believers. When we, when we live that way, right, we feel like a failure all the time because we are. We can't meet the standard. Legalism always leads to failure because it's got these unattainable standards. But when you or else a legalist has to make the standards so low and so minimal that you can that you can meet them. But when you grow a friendship with the one who pays your traffic fines, right, your behavior changes. You want to know this person who's so kind to you. Your driving improves not because you're avoiding punishment but because you want the joy of an unhindered relationship with your generous saving benefactor. You're motivated to good behavior, not to be rewarded, but because you're already counted in good standing with the court. So it only stands to reason that you'd say, man, somebody's taking care of all my, all my wrongdoing. I want to get to know that person. I want to live more like how they would let me, want me to live. And yet we still say, yes, but... Right. And in the early days of the church, 
They struggled with what to do about Jewish laws, for example, in the light of grace. And they were saying faith, yes, and grace, yes, but, but we need to keep the Jewish rules, too. Well, you can read about it, particularly in Galatians. It's a great book for that. And Paul finally says, here's my paraphrase. We're going to have it on the screen there. My paraphrase is, if you're going back to keeping rules for salvation, you've fallen from grace. Right? Paul writes, for if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You have fallen from grace, fallen away from God's grace. Well, that's where we get that phrase. You ever heard that phrase? Oh, they're fall from grace. That usually means somebody committed some misdeed and we say they've fallen from grace. Oh, they're no longer popular. They've fallen from grace. It's from the Bible and it means when you fall away from grace back into law, that's what it means to fall from grace. Our yes, but moments may not be about Jewish laws, but we've got lots of other laws, don't we? How to how to dress or how to cut our hair or what, you know, what to drink or what not to drink. And, you know, I make those choices today, not for my salvation. I make choices based on what's wise for the relationships in the body of Christ. Most Sundays, for example, I wear something like khakis and a, and a collared shirt, right? Why do I do that? It's not because God loves khakis and buttons, Right? And it's not my favorite way to dress. I do this so as not to be a distraction to the person who would be offended by jeans and a T-shirt. I get that. I also don't wear a tie because some people would struggle to see past the necktie and hear what God might have to say to them that day. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about giving up his rights and his privileges for the benefit of others. To make it easier for a, for a weaker person, a person weaker in their faith, to follow Christ. So I'm approved by grace, not by my behavior. It's impossible to have too much grace. It's just that good. I I mean, could dinner ever taste too good? Think think about the best meal you've ever had. Just the, the most delicious food. And you're just like, whoa, this is so good. What if it was better? Wouldn't you go like, oh, yesterday's dinner was great, but today's oh. Right? Could, would it be possible for a, for a meal to taste too good? No! Right? That's, that's grace. Could you go to a concert that was too enjoyable, too satisfying, too perfect in the music? No. There's no way to overdo and to be overly dependent on God's unearned, unmerited, unlimited favor, His grace. So how can grace, those, that good stuff that God wants to do in your life, How can that become a greater reality in your life? Three things. First, we do have to be truthful about sin. We've got to be honest about sin. Based on this passage here, you see what he says from verses 12 to 15. You know, Adam sinned and sin entered the world. We say it this way. We sin and sin still brings physical and spiritual death. Christians, I I will admit, we tend to be sin obsessed, I believe. I think we think too much about sin. Sin has the wet paint effect on us, right? You walk past a sign that says, wet paint, don't touch. Well, we've talked about it here before. What's the first thing that people like me want to do? Is it really? Oh, yeah, a little bit, right? I don't know about you, but I can't not do that. There's something about saying no that makes me want to say, well, I'll, I'll do it anyway. That's just in our nature to sin, to rebel. The more you think about not sinning, guess what? The more you sin. 
A verse I often point to, we often point people to this verse. One of the first verses we're taught to memorize is Romans 3.23. Most of you could say it with me. For all have sinned, right, and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, we start with that one. I just wonder if we're making a mistake by starting with that bad news. Why not start with the verse right before it? You know the verse before it says? Romans 3.22. Look at this one. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. The following verse is almost, it's almost an afterthought. For we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you see what Paul does? Look, he's like, listen, I want to tell you about the good news. You already know the bad news. Let me tell you good news. I'm not saying don't memorize that verse. It's important as well. Every verse is. But here we have in Romans 5, Paul is making this profound theological statement that we all sin and we all die because of Adam's sin. Sin results in a separation from God. We're split apart from God because of our sin. This horrible world, this, this tragedy this week in Charleston, right? Nine people murdered. It proves it in the most destructive way that sin is about death. But let's not kid ourselves. Sin is sin. And the spiritual result is the same. Even for the believer living under grace, sin results in guilt and shame. And guilt and shame is not from the Lord. That's from the devil. I wonder if I have time for a little illustration. We're going to, we're going to try it. Stuart, can you come help me with this? At the risk of obsessing about sin, I want to illustrate something. Stuart sort of knows what's going to happen, but not really. Okay, everybody knows what this is, right? Okay, I've got a mixed dozen. I got maple bars, chocolate bars, chocolate stuff. Now, wait. Most of us think that this is kind of represents sin. It's not good for you, but it tastes good. So I'll just have one now, and I'll just apologize for it later. So go ahead. Take one of your choice, Stuart. Quickly, we don't have a lot of time. I know which one you want. You want the maple bar. Oh, chocolate. All right. Now, don't eat it too quickly because we've got to illustrate the point here. This is what we think sin is typically. All right, we think sin is eating a donut. What we don't realize is sin does this. The Bible talks about sin being bondage, that we're slaves to sin. So we start eating our donut, right? And all of a sudden, next thing we know, suddenly, that donut, that sin that was so delicious and so exciting before, becomes a lot harder to enjoy. Do you see what it does? That's... Hang on. Your brother can go help you. Go sit down. All right. That's what sin is. It seems like, oh, it's just a tasty donut. We'll deal with it later. And the more it does, it tends to wrap us up more and more and more. And yes, your brother does have to help you get get out of that. Now. (laughs) Okay, but we have a choice. This is my second point of your outline. We have a choice. We either choose try harder, right? Or 
Do you really see this word in verse 17? Receive God's gift of grace. You can try harder or you can receive God's gift of grace. Right. Let me just quickly read verses 15 and on again. There is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful gift of grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, the opposite of condemnation, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over Many, but even greater is God's wonderful gift of grace and his gift of righteousness for all who will receive it will live in triumph. Or I think your NIV says will reign in life over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Even though we are guilty of many sins, verse 16, NIV says the gift of grace followed many trespasses. Paul does not ignore the seriousness of sin. God's grace is not a disregard for sin. It's not, you know, grace does not mean sin is overlooked or ignored. Sin has the same effect it has always had. Instead, God's grace and God's gift of righteousness, as verse 17 tells us, means we're no longer under sin's curse. We're not slaves to sin and we're not bound up in, in the, the tightness that sin has for us. Romans 6 talks a lot about that. God's grace justifies us. A few weeks ago, we talked about that word. Remember justification? That lining up, that visually pleasing look down the margins of your Bible. God's grace justifies us, brings us into alignment, right standing with God. But wait, you say, you're telling me I'm free from sin. I'm not a slave to it anymore. I, I, I can just I can just receive grace and it's it's all done. Yes, but but. Brian, I'm still sinning. I'm I'm still stuck. I I can't seem to stop. And yes, we will always struggle with sin. And the more we've made a habit of it, the more we need the help of God and the help of others to shake free. That's why there's good groups, 12-step groups and other things. Maybe it's habitual overeating or drinking or pornography or gossip or adultery or complaining or envy or selfishness or unforgiveness or rebellion, you name it, you don't need me to make a list for you. You already know in your own life what you're thinking about. And here's the choice that we're given. Do you just try harder, which so far hasn't worked? Or will you do as verse 17 says, and receive the gift of grace? God's grace always has more power than sin. Let me say that again. God's grace is stronger than sin. Grace is stronger than sin. Those who will press in to receive grace say, God, I, I, I have sinned, but I'm going to receive your cleansing, righteousness, your grace over my life today. Right? Those who will re- triumph, those who will do that, will triumph over sin and death, as the New Living puts it, or NIV, will reign in life. I mean, wouldn't you love to reign in life? Wouldn't you love to have power in your life to be over sin instead of under it? And maybe instead of being obsessed with sin, which just leads to more sin, we should be obsessed with grace, which leads to more freedom. 
and more grace. I guarantee if you if we talked more about God's forgiveness and we talked more about his grace, we would be experiencing. We'd be living in it more and more. Grace can never be earned. It can only be received. It's a gift. But let's not forget, grace is only possible because the requirements of the law were already satisfied in Christ Jesus. Okay, The requirements of the law were already satisfied. Paul says it here, because one man obeyed, many become righteous. So we could say it this way in point three. Jesus obeyed on our behalf, so we now align ourselves with him. You see that in verses 18 to the end of the chapter. So because of Adam, we all sin. We're all doomed to death and separation from God. And yet, because of Jesus, we all have the opportunity to be in right standing with God the Father. And it gets back to the concern that some have about grace. Right? That if we emphasize grace, well, people are just going to live with a reckless attitude towards sin. That sort of sin now, repent later. Sort of what I do with donuts. Right? I'll just work it off. Sometime, right? Doesn't work that way. Paul, and, and in a sense, I suppose you could say Paul kind of brings us to that conclusion. In fact, he even goes on and answers his own question in chapter 6. He says, well, should we go on sinning that grace could increase? No, he says, far be it from us to do that. In verse 20, he says that more and more sin led to more grace. More grace. The, the word, the term translated more abundant, you see it there, verse 20. God's grace was given so that people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. The, the word that's translated more abundant is from a word that means it's super increased. Grace super increased. Sin was going like this and grace went, oh, I gotcha. I'm ahead of you. But the person who acts like sin doesn't matter has not understood Grace. Grace is found in a, this is so important right now. Grace is found in a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ. Right? And when you're in a relationship with somebody, you are naturally inclined to do the kinds of things that will improve that relationship. This morning, there was a card beside my bed, on the bedside table, right? There was a card. Because I'm a dad, and I have a very thoughtful wife. She gave me the most awesome, she knows I'm a words person, and she gave me the most awesome card. She does the kinds of things that actually improve our relationship. It was full of, filled with nice things. It wasn't, boy, you really could have done better with those kids of ours, right? <laughs> that would not be a good Father's Day card, in case some of you are, if that's what you left, you need to run home now before, you know, you can, okay, good, nobody did that. Um, Right? We do the things that are going to improve that relationship. Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy were never meant for us to simply be better Christians. Mercy and grace are given so we can know God in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. God did not give you his grace so you could be a better performing nice person. His grace is so that you can be in a relationship with His Son, Jesus. So that you can be healed. 
you, of those hurts and trauma of your past so you can be forgiven, so that you can be made right, so you can live in freedom. And this is the amazing thing. As you receive God's grace, your character begins to change. You become a grace-giving person as well as a grace-receiving person. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And He directs you to new desires, new attitudes, new behaviors. It's like this. When I first learned to drink coffee at about, I don't know, 18 or 19, I started drinking coffee. And um, I drank the cheap stuff because that's what we had in the house. MJB in a green can. And um, that was fine with me. I quite enjoyed it. And then over the decades, I, um, well, I've become a coffee snob, to be honest. So my appreciation for quality coffee has increased over the years. So now I like really good coffee. So even if you gave me um, like a life supply of cheap coffee, I'd probably turn you down. Why? Because my appetite has changed. And some say, well, grace is just giving somebody a free pass to sin. Yeah, but as you know, Jesus, your appetite changes. Do you see the difference? And as you align yourself with Jesus more and more, you recognize that sin is junk. And again, as I said before, we all still struggle with sin. I do. You do. That's a battle we're going to deal with all our life. But we have an increasing desire to live in a way that brings greater freedom in Christ. And then when we do fall, when we do sin, when we fail, no matter how difficult, you know, desperate that is, we realize this is not good for me. This is not consistent with my new nature in Christ. And we're able to bring it back to him and receive his kindness. In fact, I opened this message with two words, grace and mercy. And we haven't really said anything about mercy. Because along with grace, we still need mercy. So let me finish with that. Hebrews um, 4.14 and following says it this way. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You know, even though we can reign in life, we're still weak and we're still prone to sin. And that makes us feel like we don't deserve it. We don't deserve to pray. We don't deserve to worship or or read the Bible or go to church. We don't want to serve anywhere. We don't want to get involved because somebody's going to see how inadequate I am on the inside or the outside. But look, God already knows and anticipates our weaknesses and he is still the merciful one. So at the very point of your greatest failure, your greatest need, your greatest shame, your greatest self-loathing, your, your, your greatest stumble, he says, come boldly, receive mercy, find grace. When we need it most, I need it when I'm at my most sinful, broken, disgusting place. And that's the very time he says, come close. How is that possible? 
It's the blood of Jesus Christ to pay for all your sin already. There's no catch. It's not a trap. Right? It's because Jesus did the work of paying for your sin. Even when we feel most like running the other way, it's the very time He says, run to me. Come to my throne. Find mercy. Receive grace. And friends, that's just good news. That is just good news. I need it all the time and so do you. That's good news. Kurt, as you and the worship team come, I'm just going to close with prayer. And a message like this is a little bit hard to know. How do I respond, Brian? What are you asking me to do? Because something like receiving grace seems so intangible. So hard to, to measure. So hard to sort of define. Maybe it begins for you by saying, God, I, I feel like it's all about just trying to be a good person. And I want to learn how to receive grace. Or maybe you know in your life, you're hard on people. You're just hard on them. And you want to learn how to be a gracious person. That grace that you want to receive, that you would know how to pass that on to others. Maybe you feel just so unworthy right now, so sinful, you're ashamed You, you, know, you just feel like you're never going to break free of your sin. And you just need to start with God's mercy over you. He just says, just, just come. Maybe you're somebody who's never given your life to Christ Jesus as your Savior. And today you would begin by saying, Jesus, I trust you to forgive all my sin and make me a child of God. That might be your starting place today. What we call becoming a Christian. And for children, we talk about inviting Jesus into your heart. We use different words to try to give this sense of it's about surrendering my life to the leadership and lordship of Jesus Christ. So I invite you to stand as we close in prayer. And I want you just to be honest with yourself. What, what's your spot right now? What's your place? Is it learning to receive mercy and grace? Is it to become a more gracious person? Is it coming with all your junk? Or is it receiving Jesus the first time? Let's bow our heads as we pray. Lord, I thank you that we have this marvelous, mysterious, wonderful gift called grace. And you delight to deliver it to us. I think that we don't have to live our life looking over our shoulder wondering if we're, if we're good enough for You. I thank You that because of Jesus Christ who, who clothes us in righteousness, we are in right standing with You no matter who we are of what we've done because we've trusted Jesus to take our place. And Jesus, we thank You that You obeyed the Father. You, you did keep the law perfectly and so You fulfilled all those requirements. 
in some ways it's hard for us to understand. It seems so theological, but God, I, I, my desires that would be so real in our lives right now, in my life, in the life of every person here. And Lord, for the person right now who's saying, I don't, I'm so hard. I'm, I'm just working so hard. God, would you help that person just right now, just soften their heart and receive the grace you have for them. Lord, for that person who is just so hard on everybody else, God, would you allow them to experience your grace so they can be gracious? And Lord, for the person who's just burdened with guilt and shame and condemnation, God, would you deliver them with your mercy? And as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you might be somebody here today. You're saying, I'm in that category. I want to give my life to Jesus today. That's me. And we do this in a variety of ways here at this church. Sometimes I have you just talk to me later. Sometimes I I ask, I'm going to just go on a limb and just say, if you're saying, I want to give my life to Christ today, would you just raise your hand and I'll have a chance to pray with you later. Just identify and say, yes, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Anybody like that? And for all of us, I want you to know that God's unlimited, unmerited, unearned, perfect grace is freely available to you right now, right here, right today, and for every day to follow. Such good news. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Amen.